Hello there everyone and welcome to the Spacebar podcast. How are you all doing? As promised, uh, this week's episode is part two of our interview with Brent Bellum, the CEO of BigCommerce. Uh, in the first part, you'll have heard John, our MD, interviewing Brent, talking about his sort of family history, his childhood growing up, um, kind of some of the, the career path that he's had and some of the great business that he's worked for, some of his mentors, and basically how he's got to where he is today as CEO of BigCommerce. In this part, without giving away too many spoilers, we find out a bit more about BigCommerce, uh, the roadmap. We talk a little bit about the IPO they conducted last year and what the future is for BigCommerce going forward and what Brent's vision is. So without further ado, let's get into it. This is part two of When John Met Brent. Bringing it, bringing it up to sort of present time then in terms of, you know, like the last 12 months and obviously we've, we've all, you know, lived through this 100 year, uh, 100 year event, this pandemic that we've, we've, uh, we've, we've, we've come through. Um, what have you, what have you seen at, at Big Commerce? What have been the, 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 the trends or the market uh, themes that you've seen reoccurring uh, during that, t- during that time that have made a difference to you as a business? Well, I mean, it, it, you never feel great uh, being the beneficiary of such a disruptive and challenging event for society, but we certainly have been. Coming into last year, we were already in our third straight year of accelerating growth rate and having your growth rates go higher and higher and higher on an ever larger base. is pretty hard to do for a recurring revenue business like ours, but if, if we were going like this, the pandemic then made us go like that. And you can see that in our published results as a, as a public company. We accelerated a lot. GMV accelerated, merchant signup accelerated. The fundamental change is that what was going to happen inevitably and slowly over time and had been slowly happening over time suddenly started happening all at once. And the all at once was the recognition and adaptation to e-commerce as front and center to business strategies. I mean, all of a sudden you're a manufacturer who used to rely on third-party retailers in the physical world on high street and they're shut down. (laughs) And how can, how can you keep selling your product? How can you make up for those lost sales? Um, Especially when you've got competitors who are digital natives or focused online. So there's a mad scramble among all the companies who are late adopters or only partial adopters of e-commerce, maybe they're doing one brand, one geography, B2C, not B2B, or vice versa, to, to further adopt. And, and people say, well, how far along did the curve did we get? Well, businesses advanced a lot, consumers advanced a lot, even in categories that a year ago, there were a lot of skeptics. Oh, yeah, people aren't going to buy their groceries online. They're not going to buy DIY online. Well, they sure do now, right? Triple in grocery purchases. It's crazy. And we're not going back. People say, well, you know, what's going to be like when we lap that GMV and the stores reopen? The way I look at it, uh, these numbers aren't dissimilar around the world. The U.S. Census Bureau just came out with its e-commerce report for the year 2020. And what they said was that E-commerce as a percentage of total consumer spend in the U.S. went from 11% to 14% in one year. So it took, it took 
the internet and e-commerce 26 years to go from zero to 11. Wow. It's a pretty slow pace of growth. Yeah. And 11 to 14 in only one year, but 14 is way below where I think we will be in 10 years, in 15 years. We'll go to 20, we'll go to 25, we'll go to 30. When you think of all the buy online, local delivery, pick up and store, how much more of what we buy and consume could co- conveniently have a starting point of e-commerce, you know, I think ultimately we'll get as humanity to 40 or 50%. Mm. I don't know at what pace line it will take, but I think we're going to go way, way higher. So being at 14% today, for any of us who work in e-commerce, we are still very early innings of what is, I think, uh, you know, the what, what, what will end up being the biggest and fastest change in, you know, probably economic history for humans. Yeah, incredible. Hey, it's, uh, I think that that move from a, you know, if it took 26 years, I think you said to get to 11%. And then, you know, we've done another 3% uh, gross in, 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 the, in a year. Uh, it makes you wonder what, you know, what's, twen- what's 21 going to look like? What's 22 going to look like? And does it carry on going at a similar rate? Maybe, maybe it peters off a little bit because cum- consumer spend, just, I guess, thinking about it from my own perspective, I think my own, my own spend in my own household will change a little bit because there's things that we're talking about doing as a family, which involve experiences and going to places but look e-commerce plays a huge part in that now but maybe we go less to the shops and it's more about online so uh maybe maybe it's money just getting directed in a in a different direction but um no i hear what you're saying as well i think you know nobody wants to benefit from you know uh an event like this but in events like this there's obviously winners and you know winners and losers as well which i guess is the way of the world um well but one other thing is we want to be an enabler of success in particular for those who got caught flat-footed. Remember, our strategy is open SaaS, which is best suited to businesses who are uh, more complex mm-hmm. and really trying to adapt their e-commerce to their requirements. And so, you know, as a as a generalization, you know, Shopify with its sort of uh, one-size-fits-all approach is best for digital native startups. But anybody who is originally an offline business and needing to integrate with legacy channels, legacy systems, uh, migrating from an old platform to a new platform. That's where we're better. And a lot of those are the ones who are most challenged in this digital world. We want to be the solution for those companies. What I keep saying to our people is we want to help those offline retailers, those uh, legacy brands actually thrive and innovate to the very best of their ability. using our platform for that because we're really well suited to them. So, um, you know, the, the folks who got hurt the most, the businesses in, in, in retail that got hurt the most are in many ways, our best customers and we want to help them come roaring back. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really nice, a really nice message to, to, to put out as well. I think, you know, we, we've certainly seen the same and I, I, I'd agree with you. I think big commerce sits in a really, sweet little spot that it can help those omni-channel retailers it can help the b2b businesses massively as well that that are really not there are many many cases just not at the races right now with with um with uh with e-commerce it's they're, they're sort of early adopters and it's actually these types of projects are typically part of something that's far far much bigger for a business or an organization where it's digital transformation and 
they do need they do need the ability to have open SaaS type platforms where they can move quickly and understand what what commerce is going to be for for them as a as a business and an operation. So I think that's again a a, a, ni- a nice place that um, big commerce can be really positive there. Um, I just wanted to come back to the uh, to the IPO as well, which you completed um, August time of last year. I think I think that in some way was linked to the pandemic. I overheard that you were very close to IPO in and around March time. Is there is there a is there a story behind that? And the the pandemic almost got in the way of it. It sure did. Yeah, we were on track for an April IPO. We had confidentially filed with the SEC. We were through you know multiple rounds of comments and responses with them. Uh, and within you know probably a couple of weeks of publicly flipping, meaning going from a confidential IPO filing to a public filing, and you know at that point you're like a month away from an IPO. When all of a sudden pandemic declared on March 11th, I can't get investors to take in-person meetings anymore. The IPO window closes, the board freaks out because you know what does this mean for all of their individual portfolio companies, us included. Uh, you know, and we had offers to acquire us on the table. So, you know, we actually paused on the IPO and considered one of those offers. Uh, and it only took a few days of looking at what the pandemic meant for our business when I saw our metrics start to skyrocket. Now, not all of them, you know, our enterprise deals uh, slowed down and paused a little bit, but our SMB business just absolutely took off our GMV of our customers skyrocketed and each passing week was better than the one before. So I kept saying, if we were already a good enough business to have a successful IPO before this thing started, we're that much better today. Now, you know, we needed the IPO window to open back up. And I would have, my one big regret is I would have liked to have been the first company to go out during the pandemic, but we were tied up in a, you know, in an LOI with an acquirer. And, and I'm just like, it was killing me. It was killing me because I wanted to get out there and use this to tell the story of e-commerce, to be the first company to IPO in the pandemic and talk about the future of e-commerce and how e-commerce is a, a societal, it's a partial societal solution to how we deal uh, with a lockdown society. And and, and all of the physical world challenges that the pandemic creates. Uh, so we missed that chance, but we were, I don't know, maybe the 10th company to go out or so, because we got ourselves out of the, that other situation. Of course, when we went out, the enthusiasm for e-commerce, this was now August 5th, was the actual IPO date. Uh, you know, by then, the enthusiasm for e-commerce was sky high, and we had a great reception among investors, which we're appreciative of. Uh, and, you know, by a lot of metrics, it was one of the more successful software IPOs ever. You know, the initial trade on our stock was three times what we priced at, uh, which was which was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, what I would say is the big benefit, what I, I ground everybody and say, you know, IPOing, earning your way to IPO is kind of the equivalent of climbing from sea level to Everest Base Camp very, very long journey, both in terms of horizontal and vertical. Right. Um, but you're only at Everest Base Camp. And if you think that's success, you're you're working at the wrong place. 
success is getting all the way to the top of Everest. And what is the top of Everest in, in our mind? It is, you know, really firmly establishing ourselves in both reality and perception as the best, most flexible, most high-performing, um, most advantageous e-commerce platform in the world. And we have plenty of merchants and partners who've already said, well, we think you're that, or at least for part of our business, you know, today as of calendar year 2020 or 2021. Um, but we're a long way from being what Magento was in 2014 or 15, or what Shopify is perceived as today for, for startups and SMBs. Uh, we want to be that for mid-market and enterprise and, you know, uh, even SMBs that want their software optimized for their needs. And that, that's the top of Everest. That's where we're going. So this is just base camp, right? We, we've gotten ourselves to base camp. But the big thing that the IPO benefits, the biggest benefit, it's two things. One is um, people actually care and listen to us now. We could have a big product release as a private company, you know, a, a press release around a partnership. And we issue it and nobody cared because we're a private company. And now that we're public, they listen to us and they care. They care a lot because investors make or lose money, depending on whether they uh, understand well our strategy and it's different from our competitors. The whole notion of open SaaS has really been evangelized and accepted by a lot of folks only during and after the IPO process. Because that's an anchor thing. How do you understand how we're different than open source and Shopify? It's open SaaS versus Open source, it's open SaaS versus closed SaaS. They care. They're, they're paying attention to that. And then the second big benefit of being public, the bigger one, is that merchants, when they evaluate a platform, they're betting their digital future on that platform. They don't want to get it wrong. They don't want to be let down by that platform. Under investing, under innovating, having bugs and downtime or low performance, falling behind the competitive curve. They don't want to have to replatform again in a year or five years. Uh, they want to be with the winner. They want to pick the long-term horse to ride all the way, uh, you know, to a, to a victory in their race. And before we were public, it was a big leap of faith to go with us. You'd have to be really convinced in the story and the product to take a leap of faith on a private company. You don't know before we're public, you don't know our strategy, you don't know our size, you don't know our balance sheet, you don't know our momentum. Yeah. And we're going up against large market cap software conglomerates, Adobe, Salesforce, Shopify, SAP, Oracle, who all have that confidence behind them, you know, and in a competitive situation are kind of issuing fear, uncertainty, and doubt about us. Oh, you can't trust them. They're a private company. Maybe they're running out of money. They did this all day long because they couldn't really compete as effectively on the merits of their platform as they could by just tossing FUD on us. Um, and now they can't do that anymore because we're too now. It's very clear, a well-capitalized market cap, balance sheet, strategy, and momentum are transparent. Not only have we equalized that, we've gotten rid of a negative and created that confidence for our customers and our partners. Um, but we've created an advantage against the other 500 platforms around the world that we may also on occasion compete against. And for anybody who just looks under the hood and sees, well, how fast is big commerce actually growing? They'll see it's actually a lot faster 
then Magenta, who's declined, you know, then Salesforce and these other players. I mean, Shopify, yeah, has an even bigger growth momentum than we do, but you're down to two, right? If you want to know the two that are really growing and changing the world, you know, those are your two choices. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's... Um, that's for you. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things in there, a couple of nuggets that I like to try and pick out the things that, you know, sort of resonate with me, things that align with my thinking and what I'm seeing. So I, I absolutely agree with the open SaaS approach and that alignment being a public company, um, certainly from a partner's perspective or someone that's very interested in the business. And obviously, we're really closely aligned. Um, I've taken an interest in, in the earnings call. So I listened in last week. And for me personally, congrats, by the way, I think that was a really positive uh, obviously, year and quarter for you guys, and it was it was good to listen to. And then from a from someone who's just interested in ecom, it was really open to just see. Well, I can see everything that I need to see. I can understand the performance of the business and the direction of travel. And a lot of what you're saying today is obviously very is very in line with what was uh, what was on the earnings call last week, which I'm sure that you know many people might not have had the chance to listen into that. But yeah. Uh, congrats for that, and I, I particularly enjoyed your analogy of the getting from sea level up to up to base camp. I, I think, uh, uh, I, not that I can understand that journey from your perspective, but um, it means something to me as a business person that you set out a new goal, and it's like we've got to this place, and now we're you know now we're trying to to go on to the to the next level, so to speak. Um, just just in that, then, in terms of you know your role as the CEO, I'm I'm curious. This is from a a business person's perspective or uh, an aspiring leader's perspective how has your how has your role changed from you know pre-ipo to, to 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 now where we are today it's really fun um as a leader of big commerce you're sort of the, the part that doesn't change is you, you've got to lead the strategy um, and our strategy we have different avenues of building on the strategy open to us as a public company, but the strategy itself doesn't change. If anything, I've told my organization uh, for, for certain of certainty of clarity and elimination of doubt, if you're wondering what matters most to us now that we're public relative to before we were public, it's the same thing. It's the customers. It's, we're a customer's first company. And any time that you're faced with a business question about whether, uh, oh, we do something in our self-interest to hit financial or business goals, or we do something that's in the customer interest, solve for the customer first. And so you get inflection points like that, that different leaders would take very different positions. I've worked in lots of companies where the CEOs pre or post going public you know, would always say, well, what's in our interest first? What's our business strategy first? And I say, no, what's, you know, what's in the customer interest first? Uh, you know, I spend a lot more time in webinars like this with technology analysts, research analysts who cover us. And those are all opportunities to tell and evangelize the story, which I enjoy doing that as long as it's productive in the sense that it could lead to, you know, meaningful business for us. I don't want to be doing it just for stockholders and shareholders, except to the minimum extent possible, because, you know, ultimately we create value for shareholders by growing the business, not by talking to shareholders. Uh, so you, you do the amount of that that is necessary, but the focus for me is 
working with partners. And one of the neat things, so what's changed, we see a lot of really big technology partners um, who had not wanted to work with us before we were public, now opening their eyes and saying, uh, okay, it's let's go big. Not just let's get started, let's go big together. And that is great for our customers and our agency partners you know, as we expand those relationships, um, you know, we've got the resources to accelerate geographic expansion. You know, we now have the tradable currency that, um, you know, we can acquire platform extensions, okay. you know, if, if those are aligned with our, with our strategy. And again, I said, I don't want to be a conglomerate. I don't want to get into payments or any of these other adjacent verticals, but that's different from a platform extension. A platform extension is, you know, buying, some features and functionality that we haven't had the time or skill or knowledge to build on our own that make our platform a lot better, right? For, you know, areas of strategic importance for us. So that's a new avenue, uh, an option available to us. I have to be ruthlessly efficient during my day. Uh, there are ever more demands for time, but I don't have more time I can spend working relative to a family. I've got a wife and three kids and pets and I've got to make time for cycling or else my body and my brain will go crazy. You know, I've got to have a minimum of a social life. And and so there's not more time to work in the day aside from I'm not commuting right now, but that'll change at some point. I just have to be even more efficient Mm. and spend my time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's like a podcast like this. If you had said, Hey Brent, do you want to have a prep call? I'd say no. <laughs> yeah. You just jumped straight in. Just, let's just do it and ask me questions, throw anything at me. I'm ready for it. I don't have time for prep. I've just got to be, you know, efficient and good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you, you know, you're taking the time, uh, to, to do it obviously. Cause I know, I know you're, uh, you're a busy person. I think, um, I think I think many people can perhaps associate with that trying to spin so many different plates, and certainly from a you know an agency owner's perspective, that's something that I feel that I'm I'm well used to. I'm I'm probably uh, you know I have to be very broad in terms of different skills that I offer. I have to be the cheerleader for the business. I have to be a coach, mentor, leader, get involved in projects. You know, it's it's really it's really far reaching. There's no there's no sort of uh, I'm not, I'm not sure there's a job description necessarily, although there probably should be. But I, I, I like to try and pick out the things that that make the biggest difference. Which you know, there's things that you've said there that I absolutely see from my own perspective. Things that are things that I can definitely make a difference with. There was one thing that you said there actually, which intrigued me. Um, I definitely see what you're doing with the technology partners, and I think that's a really, really smart play. That that is open SaaS. But you mentioned there about um, you know product innovation and applications. That's of particular interest to me because we've created a – it's one person at the moment, to be honest, our innovation director, Tom. He's moved into the role of innovation director, which is uh, Tom specifically building out applications for big commerce. Now, the reason that we're doing that is because we identify with product innovation that we see that when we go and speak to clients, we want to be able to walk the walk to say, well, actually, we've built an application or we've built a small set of a, a product library. That, that is useful on our types of projects. So is there any, uh, maybe it's a selfish question to ask here, but is there any areas of interest that, that stand out to you in particular? Are there, are, there, are there parts of big commerce right now where you go, yeah, we kind of need product development and innovation to go in this direction? And perhaps just a little bit about 
you know that product roadmap or any maybe even any acquisitions that you you, you you've you've done or you're considering um here's how i'd answer that question the answer is yes lots of them we are and have been i believe a lot more open and transparent with our agency and tech partners about our roadmap than pre and post ipo than most companies are and we have been because you know, even though there's risk of that uh, setting expectations that we don't deliver on perfectly, you get the benefit of knowing where we're going both strategically and in terms of functionality, which helps you uh, sell and solution effectively with your clients and also give us guidance around, well, what you think is missing, right? You may on the one hand say, hey, look, we really want you to build native multi-store. And then you hear that we are and you hear the timeline then you go to the next thing and you say, well, what about whatever it is, a staging environment? What about this set of B2B functionality? What about this little tweak or missing API component? And some of this we'll then consider and try to get into our roadmap, but there are plenty of things we can't do. I mean, why do we have a 700 plus app ecosystem? You know, some of these are adjacent verticals, but many of these are just extensions. Many of the apps are just extensions of functionality uh, on big commerce, uh, either created by a technology company or in more limited cases, an agency like yourselves who contribute apps into the ecosystem. And I love it when agencies do that. Not all agencies have, you know, a lot of agencies have no interest in creating commercializing apps or technologies but some do, and some have been quite effective at it. Like if you're doing it, fantastic. Um, you know, other companies who've done that quite well in our ecosystem include American Eagle, uh, .com out of Chicago, Silk Software out of California, and uh, also China, Random uh, Retail out of Australia. There've been a number of, and Intuit Solutions has a lot of apps in our ecosystem. There have been a bunch of agencies who have done a fair amount of this. And, um, you know, it's, it's an agency decision whether or not you want to do it. And there's a specific problem. But when you do it, you create competitive advantage for yourself. Yep. Being able to say, we're the experts in, it, in this solution, this application, this use case. Uh, and so go ahead and do it. And I think what is more important than what we say is missing is what you say hey, look, this is the type of customer we want to solve. And in an application or an implementation, we realize here's a missing functionality and we created it and commercialized it. Mm. That's great. When we see that, we then know, okay, that app or extension solves that problem. And we'll point a lot of uh, businesses and opportunities to that solution when we see them. Mm. Yeah. So it creates, it creates more opportunity for you. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um an easy way to kind of figure it out. You'll, you'll see things that are missing, but for as big as our apps ecosystem is, it's the third biggest in e-commerce. It's still nowhere near as big as Magento's or Shopify's. Uh, and so that's another way to kind of learn is if you suddenly see really popular apps uh, in those ecosystems for which there's no substitute in ours, well, that's a, that's a right. great way opportunity yeah no i think that's good advice i think we've we've um we've been going through various different discovery sessions i think we've made a 
I think we've been very clear to make a commitment to it to put Tom Robertshaw as our you know innovation director, and he's the he's the sole guy leading that initiative at the moment. There's a couple of other people that are part of the a part of that project. Um, we've got our first app submitted. It's going through. Uh, it's going through with uh, with Big Commerce at the moment. You're looking at. So we're hoping to we're hoping to have that out on the App Store pretty soon. Um, but it, we, we've 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 been clear internally that. It's Tom that's looking after it right now, and then we plan to build out that team because what we wanted to be very careful of is that detracting away from obviously the the, the sort of Space 48 as it is and the bread and butter of what we do, which is service delivery for people. We identify with the product business is very different and it works at a different pace and there's a different frequency of work that goes on. So I think making that separation is a, is a really key thing that we had to do unfortunately we are of a size where we can afford to make that make that play that you know make that play um so we'll we'll see how it works out but we'll we'll look forward to to working with you on that um i just wanted to round off with a with a question and again this might be a slightly selfish one but i think the listeners um certainly business people and entrepreneurs may may well resonate with this and i just wanted to know um what's the what's the one piece of advice you would share with an aspiring entrepreneur or business person that you you think is perhaps you know what's been the one thing that's made the biggest difference to to you and your business career? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I'm not an entrepreneur. I, I called that just because I'm a CEO of a technology company, but I haven't founded any of the companies that I've helped to run or do run. Um, what I'm best at is finding. Uh, solutions in my area of interest that I believe in wholeheartedly and going in and, you know, whether as somebody who works for the founder or who becomes the CEO of that company, building it to 10 X or a hundred X, you know, what it was. And, you know, PayPal obviously is more than a hundred X today, what it was when eBay bought it and, and sort of, I took over strategy and then Europe and then product. Uh, HomeAway got to to more than 10x where it started, and I'd love us to get. I mean, we'll, we'll certainly go past 10x. We get to 100x at Big Commerce. That's what I like doing. Um, but I'm not an entrepreneur. My piece of advice, though, to anybody, whether an entrepreneur, a, a CEO, or a leader, or just somebody in their career, is anchor your career on an understanding of what you are most passionate about and most enjoy, right? Spend your time doing what you love the most, because if you can align your best passion with an interest, with your skill set, and skill set then is like, well, what role do you take in, in that industry or type of company? Um, I've always led with what I'm most passionate about. And I was fortunate early in my career to decide, well, it's retail and then e-commerce became the most interesting part of retail. So it's been e-commerce for the last 23 years. I love what I'm doing. I mean, I can't imagine. People have asked me like, well, Brent, if you weren't CEO of big commerce, what else, what would you do next? What would you be most interested in doing? And I paused because I frankly never even asked myself that question. Then I started thinking about it for a second. I was like, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> I don't want to spend any mind share contemplating doing something else. Cause I'm doing what I love the most. Like when I wake up each day, I can't tell you about the brands we've been selling to in the last couple of weeks, 
But I think about serving those brands and helping them grow uh, and using buying their product from a site we run. I'd rather be doing that than than anything, right? You know, would I rather be doing that than this than like riding my bike all day or I don't grow. I'm not challenged enough riding my bike or drinking wine. I've got a lot of other interests. <laughs> my other point, my other, my one other point, aside from following your passion, is that um, the way organisms grow, humans or other, the way you get better at something is by is by confronting and overcoming challenge. So. Um, building muscle, right? You go to the gym, you only get stronger by lifting more than you have before. If you keep lifting the same thing that got you as strong as you are today, your muscles actually atrophy. They become ever more efficient yep. at the same outcome. Mm -hmm. They're not becoming stronger. Yep. They're actually becoming more efficient and weaker yep. than before. They're more efficient, but they're weaker. To keep building strength, you got to keep confronting ever more challenge. And people, rather than being shy of that, they should say, well, all the challenge I've confronted up until now has prepared me to take even more. And that notion of being challenged uh, just sort of needs to be fueled. And I love challenge. It's, you know, two weeks ago, we had a once in 30 year ice storm here in Texas, and we went a week without power and water. And, you know, rather than run for a hotel or run for a neighbor who actually had power and water, we camped out and, you know, we're huddling around the fire. It's freezing. It's actually freezing temperatures in the rooms. And so we're in sleeping bags. And we did that for a week. And the notion of ever abandoning the house. Good for you. My mind, you know, it's, this is fun. This is a new challenge. And it, it, it felt really scary at times to the kids and even my wife. But then I kind of explained, this is a cakewalk relative to what our parents and their parents and their parents aggressively mm -hmm. had in the past, right? We're sheltered. It's easy these days. Challenge is freaking great. Embrace it. Embrace growth. Um, because challenge helps you grow intellectually, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationship-wise. Challenge is the great thing. So if the challenges you are taking on as much as possible are aligned with your interests and your skill sets, and you're really going to develop your superpowers, right? Yeah. That's yeah. how you create superpowers. When you got this alignment between your passions, your, your best skills, and I, skills, I don't mean what you've developed up until now. I mean what you're potentially can develop, right? Right. What you potentially can develop your, your, your attributes um, and, and your challenges, right. That keep yeah, yeah. To progress and you align those three things and then work becomes a, a generator of joy in your life i think i think that's a a really great piece of advice that's good good to hear from someone else i, I certainly uh uh you know really relate to the challenge and the growth side of things i i massively agree i don't think uh well nothing grows in the world without friction that's that's just the way it is so unless you're feeling a little bit then you're probably not really growing um I think being passionate about about what about what it is that you do is extremely important as well. You've got to, you know, it's got to be the first thing you think about when you open your eyes in the morning. Almost, I know, I know that for, for me, you know, that that's definitely definitely something that I get from business. Just really enjoy growing businesses and 
growing teams and you know seeing the success that we have whatever on whatever level that is it's something I feel passionate about and I think mate you know I think it's critical that you align your skills with that you know and make sure that you have got the capabilities and make sure that you you know it's it's perhaps not something that's too far out there. You kind of go, well, yeah, this is this is in my wheelhouse, but it's right on the edge of it, and I feel like I've got a stretch. I've got to reach just a little bit more than yesterday to 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 get a bit further. Um, so yeah, no, look, I think I think that's a a really nice way to conclude uh, the the session that we've had today. Um, some really good stories that you've shared with us there, Brent. I wanted to just take it down that sort of as I said at the start, that more sort of personal route and find out a little about a little bit more about you, Brent, the uh, the person uh, and the individual. But uh, I'd certainly taken a lot from today. So I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to uh, come on the podcast this afternoon. Uh, I hope that next time we, we meet, I'm sure we'll speak before, but I hope we meet soon enough in person. I know that travel restrictions are hopefully not too, too far away to being lifted. So uh, look, Thanks again for taking the time out. Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, first of all, I enjoyed the questions immensely. Uh, if there are people who actually listened this far, there's got to be some, you know, prize that would offer them up. Thank you for that. And I hope it hasn't been a total waste of your time and there was something in this that you found valuable. And if so, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, thank you if we're partners for that. Thanks for your time, Brent. Take care. Cheers. Well, that's it. Well, what an amazing sort of second part of the interview. That was, uh, for me, such a great lesson. I hope you guys all enjoyed that too with some great advice there from Brent at the end. And some great insight into kind of how big commerce has kind of come to be the, the sort of force that it is today. And I guess where it's going in the future as well. Um, it's great to hear kind of Brent's vision and, and kind of what they're planning to do. But for this episode, that's it. Um, but where do we go from here, I guess you ask? Um, well, good news is we've got plenty more great content to come. We've got plenty more interviews lined up. We've got plenty of great guests to come on over the kind of coming weeks and months. But if there's any kind of content you want to hear that we've not covered already, or if you'd like to come and be a guest on the Spaceball podcast, why don't you drop us a line, follow us on social media, give us a shout, or head over to space48.com and get in touch. We're open to suggestions. We'd love to get your feedback and your ideas. But that's it for now. Uh, thanks for listening again. Um, take care, stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to Spacebar, a podcast brought to you by Space48. We're a UK leading CX and e-commerce platform specialist. If e-commerce content's your thing, then please be sure to subscribe to hear more. Do you like what you've heard or is there room for improvement? Please leave us a review and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.